Hey, everybody. Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code PODCAST23, you're going to save 20% on any merch. So anything you can find on that website, use PODCAST23 at shopfd.com. Save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever. Just use the code. Save yourself some money. So why not? You know, don't, don't stop listening. Wait till the show's done. But then head over, shopfd.com. Use podcast 23. We'll see you guys out there. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Outer Zone, the official podcast of Formula Drift. My name is Jacob Gettens, and we have Kenshiro Gushi here. Uh, how's it going, bud? Uh, uh, I mean, we're just, uh, you know, right before the final round of Formula Drift 2023 at Irwindale. So uh, I'm here at my shop. We were just getting the car prepped and ready to go for the final round and uh, just doing the usual daily business. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's... Um, you you guys did a pretty big driveline update from from what it looks like. I was checking out your I was stalking your socials right before this, and it looks like you just came back from testing and pretty much a front to back on that drivetrain. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of drivetrain, we've had a pretty bad uh, string of bad luck this year uh, with the drivetrain system. Everything from clutches, uh, differentials, transmissions uh, going out. In fact, we've had two transmissions going out this season already. Uh, two quick change differentials go out and a couple clutch issues. So, uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, now that it's the car is back home from the East Coast and all the outer state rounds, we've actually had the time to go through the car in a decent manner and really look into what was really causing or the, look into the core troubles of uh, the cause of why, you know, the drivetrain was struggling to keep up this whole season. And I think we got it pretty dialed now. So we got that fixed, uh, went testing about two days ago, was, and uh, everything seemed to check out. So pretty happy with where we are. Was there like one overarching thing that like was causing the issues? Like I've heard of like guys, like engine mounts causing weird like drivetrain angular stress and like breaking bell housings and stuff like that. Was it anything like that or? Very close. Um, so uh, when we first built the car, uh, I did uh, dial the bell housing. Uh, to center itself, but then for some odd reason, uh, going through multiple engine changes and uh, transmission swaps and maintenance jobs, uh, I guess the dowels have seemed to uh, go off center. And uh, I didn't realize that uh, going into the season, and we just kept going through uh, throughout bearings and uh, input shaft bearings. And I didn't really realize why. Uh, and so once I looked into if the uh, the bell housing was centered, uh, it turns out it was pretty off-centered by quite a bit. I <laughs> uh, got that fixed um, before Salt Lake City, actually. So Salt Lake City, I didn't have an offset problem. But I think the reason why we blew our trans in Salt Lake City was because of the damage that was that was already caused uh, with the off-centered bell housing prior to fixing the issue. And so... I mean, it's just unfortunate that it took a while to figure it out. And I had to go through not just one, but two transmissions and multiple clutches this season to figure it out. It was just a very costly mistake on my end. So, uh, you know, you learn. At least now we got it figured out going into the next round and to the uh, upcoming new newer season in 24. So it's just one thing that we just got to continue to um, look into and make sure that all that is squared away before we proceed. Yeah, that's that's such a weird one. Like, um, I remember, I remember guys like blowing, uh, what was it? It was like blowing dog, like dog gears, um, because like the actual housings were stretching. 
that like from clutch kicking and all the abuse and stuff like that, that like transmissions would come out of a line. And I mean, like it doesn't take much with those, right? They couldn't figure out why they were stripping teeth. And it's like, literally the case was stretched from like three, four years of abuse. And it's like, it's these super weird things like that, like dowels where like, you don't, you don't think something like that could cause that much of an issue, but that could be, that could be engine issues too, right? Like that's more stress on the engine in a weird way. Um, I, like, I can't, I don't know what all the engine issues were, but like, you know, you think like 4G63 with crank walk, right? Where like you have this weird angular stress on the crankshaft, like, I don't know, weird stuff like that. Like it fascinates me. It sucks. And um, you know, it sucks because it's happening to you. But like, I look at that and go like, what? Like, what a strange thing to happen. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, we're pushing, you know, north of a thousand horsepower, you know, literally beating the crap out of these cars on the drivetrains. Mm -hmm. And I still think it quite fascinating that these cars can handle this much abuse and, you know, go through all these um, runs, many laps as, as much as we do um, in the little maintenance um, that goes on in between the runs. Um, but speaking of crankwalk, you know, before we swapped over to the 2J in our first FRS, we were using the Subaru EJ engine, uh, flat four. And uh, with those motors, we we had a lot of uh, crank problems because obviously those cylinder blocks are split into two and it's just a couple of bolts that hold the block, uh, that holds the block together. So, I mean, when you mentioned the 4G63 problem, it just brought back a lot, a lot of memories of having a lot of engine <laughs> problems with that platform. But yeah, once we moved over to um, proper <sighs> Toyota engines like the 2JZ and now our current uh, 1GR, we don't have many engine issues. Um, I, I did have one catastrophic uh, engine failure this year, uh, which I'll go into later on. But yeah, I mean, these cars just take so much abuse, so much of a beating. And, uh, you know, I think it's just going to get worse because the cars get faster. Uh, the tires get stickier. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just finding ways to make sure the car holds together run after run. I think it's time to go back to a beams. That's it. I mean, someone start developing the beams. Let's go. Let's get 1200 horsepower beams engines out there. <laughs> that would be cool, <laughs> but I've yet to see a reliable 1200 horsepower beams engine. I got a couple of buddies that run them. I think at like 400 and they seem to hold up pretty well. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's like an SR20 in that way where it's like, there's definitely a point where you're now just billet everything and it doesn't make sense to to keep putting that kind of money into it. Right. But as, um, so before the FRS, I was in a rear-wheel drive TC. Um, our our final engine was a 2AZ, but before that we ran or we campaigned a Beams 3S uh, for about two seasons. And like you said, the max reliable number that we saw was about 450, maybe five if we were lucky. But... <laughs> Yeah, you know, some motors, some engines are designed to take big numbers. Some aren't. And I think that's just totally fine. It is it is just what it is, you know. And with us currently developing the very yeah. unconventional 1GR, we're still finding limits of the engine and seeing what works, what doesn't. But I think uh, we're still very far away from finding its true potential. Um, so far, it's been pretty reliable. And we see good numbers, uh, good torque numbers as well. But uh, I think we've barely scratched the surface of what these motors are truly capable of. So in that sense, I'm very excited to see what we can do with these motor platforms next year. I think with the proper uh, sleeved engine bottom end um, and you know with our current valve train setup, bigger turbos, more nitrous, 
uh, we could see really solid numbers. So yeah, looking forward to this engine package for sure. When did, when did those come come in originally? Uh, in the U.S., we saw them in the Tacomas and the FJ Cruders. Okay. Uh, globally, we saw them in the Prados. Uh, I think some of them were in Crowns, I believe. Um, I could be wrong, but they are uh, Toyota's biggest uh, V6 gas engine available. We we do need like a new engine to like kind of you know get into the meta of like of drifting, right? Like we're running out of two Js. I don't think we're running out of LSs yet, but like the LS tax is coming. I really think like we're we're going to like we always thought like oh we'll never run out of two Js, but like we're running out of two Js. Um, so we do need yeah. something that's like mass produced that's like you know lighter than an LS without going to a, an aluminum block. So. You might be onto something there because like there's a fair bit of those floating around. Yeah, for sure. I think um, 1GR is definitely a good source uh, to look into. Also the 2GR variant, the 3.5 variant of the uh, GR engine, uh, which came in a ton of cars, you know, GS350, yeah. IS350, anything with the, the, even the Camrys, uh, Siennas, they're all 2GRs, the 3.5 liter V6, uh, dual VVTi. So they've got a ton of potential as mm. well. But I think if you look at the the trend of what manufacturers are doing nowadays, it's all about going compact and how much power you can extract out of a, for example, Toyota's 16G, um, which is a three-banger, a three-cylinder turbocharged engine that you find in the GR Corollas or the GR Yaris globally. Those things pack 300 horsepower out of a 1.6-cylinder, a 1.6-liter three-cylinder. So in that sense, I think the future might be going to more compact um, but turbocharged or forced induction uh, platforms. Um, I don't think we'll see that many newer generation V8s come out of manufacturers because, of course, now the trend is, you know, these manufacturers are starting to weed out uh, the, big, the bigger displacement gas guzzling vehicles and starting to look into hybrids or alternate fuel um, resources. So it could be interesting. I mean, who knows what the next 10 years is going to be for drifting, um, but I do see a trend where uh, these bigger engine packages start to slim out and we see, we see a lot more uh, compact turbocharged engines. How, how long do you think we are before, before like hybrid makes its way into like mainstream drifting? Like, cause we're, um, we're kind of like 10 years behind, like whatever is happening engine wise, minus like Papadakis and yourself, like the top tier guys, like we're about 10 years behind the technology, right? So that's like my thoughts where it's like, it's going to take a decent hybrid car, like a, uh, I mean, like, let's say like a Camaro or a Corvette that's hybrid, maybe not fully electric. And then we go from there. That's, I mean, I think we're probably 15 out, but that's, that's my thought. Um, mm, yeah, I don't think it's going to take that long. If you look at, you know, other forms of motorsports, even uh, WEC or the World Endurance Championships or even uh, World Rally Championships, they've already integrated and especially for WEC, they've integrated hybrid racing for uh, more than five years now, actually longer than that, um, especially with the Porsche program as well. But Toyota you know, has been dominating in Le Mans and the WEC series in their hybrid prototype. And then in uh, WRC, we have the hybrid uh, Yaris's, the GR Yaris. So there's already an implementation of hybrid power. Sorry, there's an airport nearby. So you might hear planes flying, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's all good. You might see sooner than later a hybrid integration into drifting. I don't think we'll see it in a competitive form just yet, but 
Um, I do, I have been toying with the idea of building a hybrid drift car. Just because it sounds cool when you're just coasting through the pit lane on EV power and all of a sudden when, when it's go time, the gas engine kicks off and you just hear this crazy exhaust tone. And I, I've always, you know, liked that watching the endurance stuff. So, you know, we'll see. We, yeah. Yeah, even if you used it just to launch, right? Like, even if you used it just to get off the line, like, I mean, I know we have we have bands on on wheel sensors and things like that, but like you, if you were the first year and you could get a hybrid out out the gate quickly, I mean, I think Kevin would be jumping on it pretty quick. But like, there's nothing against a crank sensor, and that's all that right. you would really need to have some sort of traction control to get off the line, because like it's just an output shaft. Like that's you need a speed sensor for that. And that's going to tell you, you know, potentially what that could be. So I don't know. That's maybe. Yeah. And I think, you know, moving forward with any form of motorsports, it's all about, you know, modernizing, you know, the technology and, you know, finding alternate fuel resources and just going up with the times, keeping up with the times. And I think uh, sooner than later, we're going to have to start looking into, you know, I hate to be that guy to say this, but cleaner energy and see, yeah. you know, what works to um, have a, a sustainable uh, future for drifting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody who knows you, I don't think that's like a shocking statement for you to say. I mean, you've you've kind of this. I, I wouldn't say this is the first time that this has been mentioned. Um, maybe maybe publicly, I don't know. I mean, I know uh, there's been mentions of it before, but I, I mean, we, we have to do something at some point. I mean, if somebody, I've I've kind of made this joke, and I almost like I want to knock on wood. Like, I think if the EPA ever like found drifting. It would it would be a problem, like really quick. Like there's so many things that they're yeah. upset with, but then like you come to a drifting event and you're like, okay, like I mean I think a, a good start would be if if somebody could do it correctly, would be like recap tires, so we're not having to whip through those so much, or the tires that we're using go and get recapped after. Um, I think there's been a lot of movement for more sustainable fuels. Uh, Ignite is definitely very hemp based renewables. Mm -hmm. I believe fruit based, like there, there is movement towards it, but I, I agree. I think at some point in time we're we're going to have to do something. I mean, F1's kind of leading right. the charge there and Vettel's really pushing that. Um, but at some point something will happen where, where we have to. Yeah. And then speaking of F1, you know, going back to the whole engine package, they went to a more compact V6 with turbocharged hybrid technology. So, um, you know, if the pinnacle of motorsports is, starting to move into, you know, the future for sustainable energy. I think everyone else sooner or later is going to start following its footsteps. And I think drifting is definitely yeah. on the road to that as well. Well, I think as long as like, I think the the struggle is always like when the performance leans there, like you, you in competitive, it either needs to be regulated by the governing body. So like FD will have to just step in or alternatively, the best thing for it is is somebody develops something that's so good you have right. to change to be competitive. Like that's the real way. I mean, I that's happened. I wouldn't say it's happened definitively in like drag racing or road racing or anything yet, but the day that like the first Tesla came out mm -hmm. and just started mopping the floor with like pro-built cars and drag racing, people went, "Oh right. shit, yeah, like for sure. This is something. Like this is you know, this is something we have to watch for and like I think that's all be. Like let's say you build a hybrid, mm -hmm. you start launching guys and walking them off the line with a high, with an electric launch. 
And then you take something like a Seattle where you can mm-hmm. dig yourself out of a hole or a St. Louis where you can dig yourself out of a hole using electric yeah. and not having to wait for turbos. Yeah. Like very quickly, I think <laughs> we'll start seeing guys adding, adding battery packs. <laughs> uh, but, um, well, I mean, I we'll we'll get there one day. So the the one thing I want to dig into because I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like you've you, you've obviously been around the sport for a very long time, and I think of all the people within the sport, there there's actually less known about you. I would say in the in the newer series of fans, um, which is a shame because you have such a really cool history with drifting mm-hmm. that goes back longer than FD, which is is kind of sick. Um, so, I mean, the story that I've heard is that you started actually driving cars at the age of eight. And that was like the beginning of you actually, and (laughs) I mean, there's also stories of you before eight, you know, moving cars around, like play cars as a kid, you know, pretending that they would drift and stuff like that. But is is that true that like eight is when you got behind the wheel? Yeah, that part is true. Um, but I wasn't driving these these cars on the streets. I was no. Basically, just helping. So, so my dad owned a repair shop, um, pretty much his uh, my entire youth, and um, I would go to his shop and like try to help out as much as I can, whether it was just sweeping the floors or wiping the cars down or just handing him tools. And at some point, when I was eight years old, I realized I can I can reach the pedals. I, I wasn't necessarily sitting back all the way in the seats, uh, but if I can lean forward a little bit, I can reach the pedals. And um, I used to play around in one of his uh, Datsun B110 Sunnies, which is one of his old classic cars that he just parked in his parking lot. Uh, and yeah. then um, once in a while, I would just fire it up and just pretend like I was you know, just driving, rowing through the gears. And then I realized, oh, like, hey, if I just like press in the clutch and just slam it into gear, I can move this car around. And that's when I realized like, oh, like I can actually drive. So at the age of eight, I was doing you know fat burnouts in his Datsuns and then also helping move some of the customers' cars around. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so that was literally the first time I was behind the wheel was just moving cars around the shop. Um, but I wasn't necessarily driving. Um, when I first started driving was uh, when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Um, and that was when uh, we first started to watch Initial D. Now, prior to watching Initial D, my dad was heavily into rally racing. Um, uh, and one of his dreams into the States was just to run the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. So he was, he's always been a motorsports fanatic um, as a young kid, uh, even before I was born. And then uh, when I was born in Japan, um, there's still photos of myself on my mom's back uh, at my dad's racing event or his uh, autocross event in Okinawa, Japan. And so, you know, even as a young baby, I was already at these racetracks, um, just around cars. So as far back as I can remember, I've just been around cars um, with my dad driving. Now, going back to Initial D story, um, we watched Initial D when I was 13 or 12 or 13. And we're like, oh my God, that's pretty cool. Now, coincidentally, my dad had a 1986 Toyota Roll in his shop. And I was like, hey, dude, like we can take it out and like go try that stuff. At the same time, he had one of his workers that was really into two wheels. So he was a dirt bike rider. And he's like, hey, like I know this really good spot about an hour and a half away from LA. It's called Al Mirage Dry Lake Bed. And they, sh- they do a lot of like stunt stuff there, but it's really safe, nothing to crash into. Why don't you take your son there in the Corolla you know, and just let him drive? So we did just that. And uh, the next thing I know, um, we're, we're there every weekend for like two years, just 
not necessarily just dripping in the beginning, but we were just messing around, right? Like doing donuts around like these bushes in the middle of the desert and the flat uh, dry lake bed. And we were just simply trying to mimic what Takumi was doing in Initial D, like counter steering around corners. Now, he had a lot of customers that were really into cars too. So they ended up buying Corollas at the time. And back then, they were like a couple hundred dollars. Can you believe that? A 1986 GTS was like four or 500 bucks. No one wanted SR5s. People were literally throwing away SR5s um, because they wanted a GTS. And now SR5s are going for $10,000. It's unreal. But anyways, <laughs> I, going back to that I story, know. we were there for like, uh, I don't know, like 10 hours a day every weekend, just driving, 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 you know, driving there, <sighs> driving back with the car full of dust and dirt. Uh, we would just do that every weekend Wild. for about two years. Um, and then <laughs> came the D1 Grand Prix driver search event, which was in 2003. Um, now, by that time, uh, my father and I had built a 92 Nissan 240SX uh, S13 Coupe. Uh, we had already swapped in an SR uh, and uh, we decided to try it out. So we tried out that event, ended up qualifying in the driver's search to make it into the D1 Grand Prix US versus Japan event. And uh, yeah, from there on, the, the sponsors just kept coming. It was like raining sponsors, tire manufacturers, you know, Yokohama, Falcon, all these brake manufacturers, um, Sparco, um, it was just crazy. Like I, I couldn't believe how easy it was to pick up sponsors back then because everyone just wanted a piece of drifting. Um, and so <clears throat> times have changed uh, pretty drastically. Uh, but you know what? I'm still here. I'm driving for the world's greatest automotive manufacturer, Toyota, along with a lot of other great partners. So I guess I'm doing something right. Do you do you happen to remember the name of the employee that you uh, stole, borrowed his idea of so you could get into the D1 driver search? Yeah. Because um, that it? was, was that from, was that when, was your dad still at Asuri then or did he actually no, have Gucci, he had Gucci Auto at the Gucci Gabriel. Garage at that point? Yeah, uh, San Gabriel, he had Gucci Auto. Okay. And, um, dude, what was his name? I did try to find it and I couldn't. I, I looked. I, I was like looking through like, Mark. I tried to find like public employment Mark records to see if I could name. figure out who it was. Mark, okay. Oh, I can't remember his <laughs> last name, but he was a very tall Japanese guy with skinny eyes and clearly we were not the same people. Like if you look at it, it was like, I was like, there's no <laughs> way that's going to pass me. But when we did the driver's registration for the driver's search, what um, we just put his name. Because I wasn't expecting to qualify, right? We just wanted to go out there and drive and have fun. And my dad was just like, you know, let's just try it out. Let's just put you in the competition and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this whole hype came around me like, oh, this like underage 13-year-old kid, you know, qualified for D1 Grand Prix. And I think that's kind of what also helped myself and my dad pick up all these uh, sponsors and supporters into our program. Yeah, you were, I mean, you were known as like the prince of drifting in high school. Like you were, you were the guy. Yeah, they called me the future for the longest time. And now look at it. I'm like the past now. Oh, come on now. Come on. I just, I think it's, I mean, it's interesting because you were kind of, I guess, like the first prodigy of the sport, which is really interesting. Like, I mean, we see a lot of young kids coming up now. I think Jay and Brendan Sorensen are the two that like really come to mind. But I believe you still hold the record for the youngest F1 or F1 FD licensed driver at it would have been at 13, correct? Well, that's the thing. So I started drifting 13, but FD didn't start till I was 15. So I didn't 
technically get my oh, okay. FD license till I was 15. But I am still to date the youngest uh, D1 driver. And okay. I believe... Well, okay, you know what? I have to check what? the math. If Brandon was 15 or 16 when he got his pro license. I don't know, but... Because he was 13 in pro... Pro 2, but I don't know if how old he was right, when he actually Are we also counting FD Japan? Because, I mean, we have Hero who's still 13, you know, with an event win and a license. So, right. I think in terms That's of FD collectively, Hero Minoa has all of us beat <laughs> uh, with a license and an event win. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just getting younger. Uh, and to that point, I think... Um, it's a solid point. And we could talk about this more if you want, but sim racing has definitely opened up a lot of doors and opportunities for uh, these young kids that would otherwise have no opportunity to be in motorsports because, you know, for one, you know, not everyone comes from money. Um, yeah. And sim racing or sim drifting was kind of that channel that really gave opportunities to a lot of kids. I think uh, Ryan Literal posted a video, I think it was today, he did. of a guy yeah. that that one won that opportunity. Right. That's crazy. It's so, yeah. and the kid looks amazing. Yeah. Like, like the videos, like I, yeah. I couldn't believe how quick he picked it up. Yeah. I just, I mean, I should, I should believe it. It seems but. so seamless going from, you know, simulator to, uh, in real life drifting. And I could talk about this more because I also did quite a bit of sim drifting, uh, when it first started to get popular. And this was a little before, uh, COVID. So 2019, end of 2019, I invested in a, a sim rig, a full-on like rig, monitors, a uh, set of Corsa and everything, the whole shebang. And, you know, it, it really changed the way I look at co competition because, you know, obviously in competition, there's not much you can risk, right? Like every lap counts, every set of tires count. Yeah. Um, you can't really afford to make risky moves at an event. But on a video game or like a simulator, you have infinite amounts of reset opportunities. Like you crash into a wall. Let's do it again. Why did I do that? Like you have time to analyze your mistakes and try to really perfect the driving on a sim. And then now you can apply that mentality into real life competition. And now you've skipped a whole set of steps that are necessary to get there because you've done it all on a sim race, sim rig. Right? So it's it's just crazy to me how. Yeah. Good these I mean it's not crazy because I was also there too, but it's just crazy to see the age, the median age of competitors just get younger and younger and younger, which was also what the sport needed because you know all of us are getting old and we definitely need the next generation of talent coming in and I don't yeah. want to say it, but wipe us out. Well, I mean, it's it needs that it happens in anything, right? Like it it has to happen where and and we've seen it too, where guys are passing on the knowledge. Like, you know, obviously Vaughn, Chris, Odie, these are all guys that have like, they're fostering that next generation. They're trying to develop the next group of drivers because they've realized that like, you know, reflexes get slower, passion and drive start to wear out. Like you can only push that hard for so many years before like it just wears on you. And like, there's nothing against those guys. They're still phenomenal drivers. And I still think they can outdrive, I think everybody, you know, the older, older generation, if you will, the first generation mm -hmm. of FD drivers can outdrive anybody at any given time. But there is a point in time where 
you you kind of realize like I'm not as quick. I'm not willing to risk as much. I'm not as quote unquote stupid as some of these younger kids who will just do the most ridiculous shit. And then it's like, how can I compete against a kid who has zero fear anymore? Right? Like that's, that's always that weird thing I, I see with young drivers. Like they don't have fear and they don't know any better. But like after you see a couple guys get into some big wrecks or like, you know, they're an owner operator and they're thinking about what could happen and the cost of this, it's different. That comes into your mind that plays a little bit differently than a, you know, a, a Jay the Drifter who will clutch kick his car 15 <laughs> times in a lap because he just doesn't care. Yeah. He's just like, I, whatever, I'm, I got to drive this car. Like, I'm just going to do that. Whereas somebody who's replacing that clutch is like, shit, okay, maybe I'll just try and throttle through this one. Yeah. And in FD, if you make right. a single mistake, it's over. So if you hesitate, if you think, it's over. So that's that's like my perspective on it. I still, I still like, obviously, <clears throat> we see the way, you know, you guys are driving is still phenomenal. But then you start to see like what Chelsea Denofa is doing, who is like kind of wave two is what I consider him, <clears throat> where it's like he now has that passion still, but now he's got the knowledge to support the stupidity that that is still there. I don't mean that like in a negative sense, he's just still wild. I totally get it. Right. Yeah. Um, you're right. Because I actually have to play both ends of the spectrum. I'm a team owner slash operator and driver. So you're right in a sense that when we're out there, sometimes as much as we don't want it to let it get to our head, we still have to consider, okay, like if I break right now, how much is it going to cost? Or will I even have a spare? Or will I even make it to the next round? Uh, and so the driver that doesn't have to care about anything is usually the driver that excels because they can go for it, you know. Um, yeah. Just don't care. I don't, I don't want to yeah. say like they just don't care. Like, you know, like for example, take Osbo. He has a team that's going to back him up no matter what. He blows an engine, he blows a trans clutch, whatever. His team has his back, right? He doesn't have to pay for it. The team has it covered. For me, I got there, blow a trans, blow a diff, blow a clutch. I have to cover it. I have to mm -hmm. expense everything out, budget for all these, you know, what ifs. And uh, it sucks. You know, but what I find in one of my more uh, successful events is that you're right. When I don't care about any of that and the car is working good, is usually when I do really good. Um, uh, for example, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah last year was kind of a weird one. Uh, it was an off one, but 2019 Formula Drift Irwindale, uh, my my last Irwindale win. Uh, at the time, I was transitioning yeah. into a team owner. Uh, but I was still a hired driver for gritty performance in the FRS. But that was the last event in that car uh, before we retired it. So I was like, you know what? I don't care what happens to this car. I'm just going to send it. So every run, I was like prepared to literally <clears throat> torpedo into the car in front of me. Um, but, you know, that mentality and that risk got us the win. You know, given, granted that the car held together to the very last run. And of course, that has to be first, right? You have to have a car that doesn't break. And number two, your mentality has to be in the right state of mind for everything to really come together. All right? One of those is off and you probably most likely not going to win. And I say Salt Lake City last year was kind of off one because to be honest with you, I, I didn't feel that confident throughout the whole weekend. <clears throat> it took me till the very last buy run in the finals by myself to realize, oh my God, like 
I could, I've been driving this truck wrong the entire time. <laughs> I, I threw it in differently. Um, it was lucky that it was a buy run in the finals that I got the win. But yeah, it took me that long to figure <laughs> out the car and the course. And so uh, Chelsea just made a post recently about his recent win saying how it was the luckiest uh, event that he'd ever won. And I told him, I was like, you know what? Like luck is part of a skill. Like I would actually choose luck over skill any day of the week. Right, if that's going to get me event wins all the time, <laughs> bump the, you bump that stat first, right? Like on the on the skill tree, it's like okay, we're going to rank up on luck before we go to yeah, skill. Yeah, for sure. If I can like up my luck game, <laughs> yeah. that's the first thing I'm going to be upping. But it takes skill. <laughs> like I have to mention that it takes skill to bring that sort of luck. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's someone said luck is when up. Uh, what is it? Preparedness meets yeah, opportunity. Exactly. That's right. what what luck is. Like you still have right. to be prepared, and like, and then shit still right. has to go right. Like that's the only way yeah. that's going to work. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I I'm sure you'll take a lucky win. I mean, like not to call it a lucky win, but like that's <laughs> kind of I guess for what sure we're it was a lucky win for, um, for Utah last year. Osbo had a running car. Uh, yeah. The outcome might have been different. I had a very damaged car in the finals with. Uh, my passenger side suspension, like really wonky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just uh, one of those events where everything just clicked together um, as far as the results. Uh, but me mentally, I wasn't really quite as confident I should have been. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's all good. It is what it is. So uh, <clears throat> off off kilter question here. Whenever you go and visit Pikes Peak, do you go look at the tree that you landed on in 2007? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I I do actually. Yeah. Is that is that like um, a thing? Yeah, You're like that's I do. That's the one that saved me. <laughs> yeah, actually, what's funny is the last time I went, there was a lot more greenery there at Engineer's <laughs> Corner, so I couldn't pinpoint which tree it was. Um, but the same ditch was there. Um, it yeah, it's um, <laughs> it didn't feel as scary to me anymore uh, when I first. Went back to like, oh man, that that was kind of scary. But uh, for some reason, it looks less dangerous than it did when I first went off. And I think it's just because I have more confidence in the safety equipment now. And I know for <laughs> sure I won't make the same mistake twice. So, yeah. Well, I mean, your dad's not your co-driver and he's, you know, whoever your co... You don't have a co-driver anymore to give you the wrong notes. So yeah, and easier. I still tell that story till this day. That was my dad that gave me the wrong stage <laughs> note, but he still blames me saying that I wasn't paying attention. So it's still a finger pointing game, but um, yeah, actually going good. back to that story, yeah, the following year, he had rebuilt that same GCA, went up and won third place in the open class, which I thought was pretty crazy. It was kind of like you know, a mic drop to my face, like, oh, if you couldn't do it, so I'm going to go up and do it myself. And he ended up getting on the podium. So, uh, yeah, that was... Was it Was it still Was it still leased in 2008 or was the lease over by then? No, he had paid it off by then. Um, <laughs> but when I raced it, it was still, uh, we okay, were still cool. making payments. Okay, Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's such a, that story, I mean, I know we like truncated the hell out of it, but like that story is so neat um, just because your dad came over to to run that race and instead of him racing yeah. it, he let you do it which is like i mean like as a father myself like i'm like man that the first time i heard you tell that i'm like i was i got a little emotional i was like yeah what a yeah like your dad gave up everything to come to the u.s and and had such a rough time and like you know it is it, and it's, it's just yeah, crazy the whole thing he is really nuts. put 
the trust in me to drive, you know, first time Pike's Peak race. And he was a co-driver. But I think he regretted that quite a bit when we went off. Uh, But it was still, you know, a pretty fun experience going, uh, being able to drive a Pike's Peak (laughs) with my dad and um, just sharing the same passion overall. But prior to Pike's Peak, uh, he was also doing a bunch of rally. uh, So was I as his co-driver and uh, we had a lot of seat time together. So, you know, it's one of those things where I get to check off my bucket list saying that I ran Pike's Peak with my dad uh, or sorry, flew off Pike's Peak with my dad. Um, But now being able to share that story and uh, also having him as a podium finisher is also something neat to talk about. What what was it like driving against your dad in FD? Because like that, I think, I don't think anybody else has ever driven against their father in Formula Drift. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, to be honest, I expected him to do a lot better. <laughs> it's, uh, it was a very short-lived um, Formula Drift career for him. I think it was just one season yeah. too, back in 06 or 07. Um, yep. But he was in the Kingpin STI, Rebel Drive Converted STI. Um, really solid guys, a solid car. It's just he was, uh, I think it was just, I don't want to say too much for him because he's not a bad driver. It's just uh, he didn't have enough preparation with that car and seat time with that car to be uh, fully competitive. And this was when I was already with a uh, competitive team um, without his support uh, and actually I was a Ford racing at the time uh, driving a Mustang so yeah um, right yeah his his Damn. FD career was definitely short lived let's just uh, end it up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still think it's cool though it's like it's still I don't I don't think I'm trying to think of any other rel- like I guess the Sorensons drove together, but I can't think of any uh, other relatives that have driven I together. You. I'm Reese probably Millen missing Rod- somebody back in the early days. Rod did pi- uh, Formula Drift. Right. Yeah. Football okay. events, I think. Ah, right. Damn. Okay. My 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 last ten. Like I I'm mm-hmm. I would say I'm really good at the at the last ten years. Like that's that's my wheelhouse. Like that's. That's that's my jam. <laughs> the previous 10 years, I'm yeah. still working through the archive. Like I've been re-watching old events and stuff, but it's just, it's not baked it's in not there definitely. yet. So it's, yeah, it's tough, man. It's 20 years of history to try and like get in there and, and retain. It's not easy. But I mean, you've, you've lived, you've obviously, you've obviously been through all of it. What, what's been like the biggest change that you've seen over that time? Like, yeah. you know, is there, is there been times where like you've stood back and like, this is it. Everything's different now. I mean, we know the James yeah. Dean era. We know the Daigo Saito era. But like, was there anything else where you're like, ooh, okay, this is this is new? Yeah. Uh, definitely when the steering angle kits and manufacturers started to pop up was when I realized, and it was shocking to me, like, oh my God, all of a sudden, everyone is a very good driver. You know? Uh, so mm. I guess what I'm trying to say is steering angle made... A lot of pro drivers. Um, it, it made it made drifting look like, of course, crazy, but at the same time, easy. And at first, I was actually a little bit late to the Wisefab mm. game. Um, Wisefab hasn't been around for a long time now, more than ten years. But I I only hopped on in 2015, 
And that's yeah. because we were just having so much problems and such a hard time dialing in the suspension of our FRS. And this was year three with our FRS because uh, we started in 2012, 15. So 15 was year three. And uh, everyone was just beating us. We just had no chance to fight against these guys. And we were just on a cut and welded a knuckle setup. And so <laughs> the first round in 2015, Long Beach, right? The car was uh, refreshed. Two wow. Jay-Z set up. First year with the Jay-Z uh, going from the Subaru engine. And uh, the car was fast as hell. But going into Long Beach, we lost in the top 16 against uh, Jeff Stoneback. And I was like, why? Like, why does the car not drive as easy as everyone else is making it look? Like, they're just like, no, 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 like sipping tea one-handed and just flinging the car sideways, massive angle, wall to wall. And I just couldn't figure out why. I'm like, you know what, guys? Let's go WiseFab. Like, I'm tired of trying to figure this out. Let's go WiseFab. Um, and the first event with WiseFab, we got second place in the podium after the longest dry spell of my life off the podium. And so... From Atlanta, round two in 2015, uh, round three, Orlando, we got third place podium. <clears throat> round uh, round seven, Texas, we got second place podium. That final round, round eight, Irwindale in 2015, we got second place podium. Finished second place in a championship overall, right behind Frederick Osbo. And now I look back, I'm like, if only I had Wise Fab at Long Beach and I had moved further than the top 16, that championship yeah. would have been mine. Wow. That's how close it was. So it's, um, that was a turning point in my life. Like, okay, so why is that big angle? That's like definitely a changer. That's interesting. Yeah, no one's brought that one up. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, I think that's a, that's such a definitive thing in, in drifting that I don't, that like we forget about that like at one point in time, everyone was running cut knuckles or like tie rod yeah. spacers or like some weird pickup setup, but like, yeah, WiseFab was one of the first. I don't know if they were the first, but they were definitely one of the first to build like yeah. a, you know, a, this is for drifting. This is right. this is what you need. Yeah. yeah. So are, are, you, are you still a, in WiseFab now? I am, yeah. I am a WiseFab believer for life. Like you will not get me on any <laughs> other brand except WiseFab. They, they've definitely changed wow. my career path for me. Because I think at that point, like we were so low. Like I was just one, at one of the lowest points of my life in terms of like confidence, um, formance. And I was like, and, and even like some of my, um, my manager, my athlete manager at the time was like, Hey, like, you know, like, you know, some of these sponsors are not really happy about our performance. So, you know, what do we need to do? They were asking me, what do we need to do? And that's why I suggested was fab in the first place was because I just needed something that everyone else was you know, hyped about. And so, yeah. WiseFab definitely is one of the companies that saved my career. And that's why I mm. owe them a lot. No, that's that's good. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, like, like fantastic sponsorship plug there. I appreciate that, you know, from one marketing guy to another. That was, that was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, WiseFab. <clears throat> yeah, thanks, WiseFab. We need like a little, a little ding to, uh, to come out there. Yeah. I, I feel like I would be, I, I would be amiss without bringing up your, I feel like it was short-lived, but your uh, your modeling career. Um, are you still rocking a six-pack to this day? Oh. Uh, no, it looks like I have a keg now. Because <laughs> yeah, your, your dad is ripped. 
Like, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't. The the last video I saw was him doing a kata. I would have been probably three or four years ago. Wow. There's a, there's still a video up of him of him doing a display, and like, the dude's ripped. I I, I was like jealous. <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of crazy that you actually went as far as digging that up too. But oh yeah, I tried calling him. Yeah. He didn't pick up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, really? I did try to call. He oh. didn't. Yeah, he wouldn't pick up. So <laughs> yeah, if he, um, if, if yeah, he's wondering right. why he has missed missed calls from Canada, that's that was me. So I apologize. <laughs> I'll let him know. No worries. Now, right, a lot cool. of people don't know this, but I do have. Well, my family has a very deep uh, roots in martial arts. Um, and that started from my grandfather. Um, and now aside from my father's dream of moving to the States to do motorsports, it was also my grandfather's dream to move martial arts or karate from Okinawa. or So Okinawa karate to the world. And he wanted to really showcase Okinawan karate. He had relatives that lived in California. So he thought it was an opportunity for, for us as a family to move here. And uh, open up a dojo or a studio and start teaching, you know, martial arts. Um, but he was a master of his craft. Uh, so was my father. They're both uh, eighth dan black belts, um, you know, which means like they're they're pretty high up. You know? I don't know any other way to explain it, but they're pretty high up masters. Yeah. Uh, my time in martial <laughs> arts was about two years, uh, and I realized it just wasn't for me. Uh, I I enjoyed too much of my time wrenching on cars watching drifting videos, watching anything car-related except karate. Like, I, I just didn't care so much about karate. But now that I look back, I, I wish that I had stayed karate too because then I would, you know, know both karate and drifting, which is kind of cool. Like, if someone picks a fight with him, I'll just whoop his ass real quick. Um, but yeah, my father... Yeah. <clears throat> I, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't pick a fight with your, with your dad. I, I wouldn't sure. either, trust me. But yeah, he's uh, he's not as ripped as you probably saw him last time. He's definitely gained a bit, little bit of weight, a lot of gray hairs now. Um, but I am working on my six pack mm. once again. Uh, it might take some time now because I'm older, but yeah, try to stay in shape. I I think we I think we we redo the shoot the the, top, the famous oh. Ken Gushi shirtless photo shoot. Uh, which looks like you were pretty, you were pretty oiled <laughs> up in that too. So we're gonna have to figure just, that uh, out. Being young, um, <laughs> that's all. Yeah, just just you just being young. I what I what I think is cool is like your your parents had you pretty young, and like what? Mm -hmm. So as somebody like I had my son at twenty one, so like fairly young. I like looking at how that relationship is, and like how close you guys are, and like it seemed like you guys did so much together. Um, how, how much like, does that affect you? Like having a dad that is basically a best friend? Um, well, I mean, I got to give it up to him, you know, he's uh, definitely the one that got me all the opportunities that I have today. Uh, without his passion for cars or racing or driving or anything to that matter, I don't think I would be where I am today. And I was definitely lucky enough to just enjoy what he enjoyed and uh, now able to have a career out of it because it's not every day where you turn a hobby into a money-making career. Um, 
it's definitely not easy. Uh, of course, a lot of people on the outside only look at the glamorous stuff that we do that I post on social media, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into you know the upkeep of owning a team, operating a team, um, having a crew, and also at the same time you know competing in the highest form of drifting uh, with a competitive vehicle. Um, and so it's definitely a, hard, a lot of hard work, but it's uh, totally worth it. Like I would do this a hundred times over in my next hundred lives uh, just because I, I simply enjoy what I do. And you know, there's nothing else that I can imagine myself, I can, nothing else that I can imagine doing outside of cars and racing. So, And that all comes from my dad's passion and his uh, ability to share that passion with me. And you're right. He had me at 19. And by the time I was yeah. you know, 20, <clears throat> he was still very young. He was under 40. So uh, I'm almost at the age where he was when I was 20 years old. Uh, so to imagine at my age right now, if I had a 16-year-old, because at 16, I was already competing in Formula Drift. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. Yeah. yeah. He, he so seems I, like I, a, I owe, I he owe seems him a lot, for sure. Very cool. I, what I, what, what's interesting, too, is like how liberal in some ways he seems like and once again i've never met your dad this is just based on like research so i apologize for for making assumptions about a man i've mm -hmm. never met but like all right cool uh, um, right. good you, research you've been right so far. um what, what's what's been interesting is seeing like how very much like liberal and open he is to doing certain things but then also like how traditional he also seems to be um like in the regards that like when you were younger you only spoke japanese in the house and like even you know, talking to your sister now, like it'd be weird to do it in English. Like, that's so cool. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, buddy. You did a lot of I, research. I, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's my goal. My goal every episode without going on a tangent is to get my guests to say, wow, or how did you know that? Or holy shit. That's it. Once I've done that, cool. Yeah, I'm that's good. pretty so, crazy. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's super yeah. neat that he's like allowing you to do that, but then also not allowing you to lose you know, your culture. Like that's, that's such a, a interesting yeah. balance. Yeah. So, okay. He's, uh, he's very prideful in keeping his roots. So he wants to make sure I don't forget where I come from, which is, you know, my culture, um, my roots in Okinawa, uh, the Japanese culture. Uh, but but mainly Okinawa. Like he he doesn't care about Japan. He cares more about Okinawa, and so he's very is that cultural. The, in that is that sense. why you have the the tattoo of the islands? Is that where that comes from? I don't have the tattoo of the islands. I have a tattoo, but it's not of the islands. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I thought it yeah. was. Okay, no. Um, but yeah, so we come from Okinawa, and he's uh, till this day he's telling me, you know, like just don't forget your roots, and that also applies to the language as well. Um, but, but it's a whole different story to why we still speak Japanese inside the house. And that's because my grandparents didn't speak a lick of English. And my parents, uh, both my mom and dad, were afraid that had we only spoke English inside the house, we would lose our Japanese speaking abilities, which means we won't be able to communicate with our grandparents. So early on when we mm. moved here, and this was actually my mom, not my dad, but my mom made a rule 
saying, okay, inside the house, let's strictly keep it Japanese. Because when you guys go to school, you and your sister are going to learn English anyways. Right? Like you're going to speak English in a couple years. So don't worry about learning English inside the house. Just make sure you guys don't forget Japanese. And we'll keep it Japanese only in this household. So till this day, you're right. My sister and I speak in Japanese together, inside the house, outside the house. Everywhere we go, we're just speaking Japanese. In fact, when we speak English to each other, it's so awkward. It's like, ugh, like why are you speaking English to me? Like We can speak in Japanese. Like, <laughs> stop it. It's, it's just very unnatural and awkward. Same goes with my my parents and, and my other family members. Like We're huh, all strictly Japanese. And I, and I appreciate them for that because now, um, especially nowadays, you know, I compete both in the US, US series and the Japanese Formula Drift series. I go there to my Japanese team and I can communicate 100%. Right? I can read, write, uh, I can travel, I can navigate the city, I can talk, order off the menu. Like I'm pure Japanese when I go to Japan. And of course, when people need help translating, I'm there. It's like the backwards version of Robin Ishida because he was born and raised in Japan, but he speaks perfect hmm. English. So yeah, in that sense, <laughs> um, my family does have these weird, I wouldn't say hmm. nuances, but like these rules that they set early on. Um, but they're also free-spirited. So they never really set any curfew for me. They never told me, hey, Ken, you can't do that. And all they said and I remember this till this day. They all they said was, as long as you come home alive, don't kill anyone, you're good to do whatever the hell you want. All right, all you podcast listeners, I managed to poke and prod Ryan Sage a little bit and save you some money on merch. So use code podcast23 at checkout. Save yourself 20% on your favorite FD merch with the hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever it is that you want. Use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save that money. Get yourself some cool FD stuff, and we'll see you out there. Damn. That's all they I said. I feel like that's a young parent right. thing, too. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, is, I have, yeah, I have sure. young parents. I'm a young parent. Like, even my 10-year-old now, like, I know some people probably cringe at this. Like, we did Grid Life Midwest, and my, my son's been raised mm -hmm. at racetracks. Like, he is, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's been his life. So, we, we went to Midwest, right. and, like, you can't go anywhere. There's one way in, one way out. So I was just like, cool, here's like an air tag and a walkie talkie, stay mm. away from hot pits and go have fun. And like, that's it. Like, you know, most, he knows so many of the drivers and stuff, but like, mm. I know, you know, people even five, six years older than me that like, they wouldn't let their 10 year old leave the house without them. But like, even for me, like being, having young parents, like, I, I mean, at like 15, I was gone. Like I was gone all the time. There yeah. was like, my parents had no idea where I was. So was so, I, and I think- or I actually like to believe I turned out to be okay and you seem to be okay. So, you know, I think there's a certain... So far, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so far. <laughs> I think there's a certain way yeah. of uh, parenting. And of course, I'm not a parent myself, so I, it's really hard for me to speak on that behalf. But um, I I liked the way I was raised, you know, free-spirited. Um, just, you know, knowing my responsibilities, the do's and don'ts. And the biggest thing was respect. Just respecting other people. Are respecting mm. elders. Um, yeah, just having a sense of respect really yeah. took me far, I want to say. And that's all thanks to them. You know, they told me just to respect people, come home alive, and don't kill anyone. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Well, to bring it all back around to drifting, I was like doing 
in any of these shows, I was like having at least a, a personal section, if you will. Cause like, I feel like you mm-hmm. guys don't, I mean, it's tough. You guys just don't get a lot of airtime. Like it's the, there's, there's no time in a, in a broadcast to do something like this. So I, I, I always try to make sure we get something in there to, to get mm-hmm. the fans a little more associated. But um, yeah, um, on the, on the drifting sense, like where, you know, having a rough year like this, what does that set you up for, you know, going into Irwindale and then going into next year? Like what's, what's the mindset like? What's the planning like? Um, even, I mean, as far as you, you're interested in going into like the business side of it, cause like that's, the business side is something that like nobody really talks about, which yeah. is sad. Cause I feel like we really do a disservice to a lot sure. of young drivers by not talking about yeah, how we'll this talk works. About that. Um, but first let's get into, you know, my mindset. Um, having probably one yeah. of my roughest years to date, uh, as far as, you know, mechanical troubles, just a string of bad luck. Um, obviously it's hard to get my mindset in the right space. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's almost to the point where like, you go to an event like Salt Lake City, okay, and then we're like, we were setting up before the first practice run, and we're kind of even joking about it. Oh, let's see what breaks this time. You know, like that should never be a part of the conversation. <laughs> but it's just happened so many times this year. We're like, kind of like used to it. We're we're numb to the car having uh, mechanical issues, which is very unfortunate. Now, coming off of last year, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back a little bit. But coming off of last year in 2022, we finished in eighth place in the season, brand new car with one event win, um, eighth in points. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty good, I think, with a brand new car platform, with a new track, and so we were kind of like high in momentum, mm-hmm. and I, I guess uh, expected a lot coming into 2023. But at the same time, there was a lot of things that I wanted to address on the car that I couldn't get to last year because we were in such a rush to get the car dialed. And I don't know if you remember, but the first round in 2022, Long Beach, my car wasn't ready. I competed in the GR Supra uh, because the 86 wasn't ready. And so we rushed the car. Yeah. There was a lot of things I wanted to fix in the offseason going into 23. And so what ended up happening was we ended up tripping down the car entirely to its air shell. Not a single bolt on the car. I stripped it down. I had to fix, you know, things like seat position. Like the pedal assembly was too close to me, but it was hard mounted. So I had to cut off the welds, reweld a whole new bracket, uh, cut off the trans tunnel, raise it up two inches, bring it back four inches, stuff like that, that needed to get the car stripped entirely. Because after all that welding, guess what? I have to paint the shell all over again. So it's just easier to start from scratch. Just take it all completely apart. Uh, and then do all the fab work uh, we do in-house. Uh, I actually enjoy welding. Uh, by the way, not a lot of people know this, but did all the welding, fab work in-house. Uh, got the chassis dialed, finished, painted. Uh, and by December, started putting everything back, you know, new suspension arms, a new wise fab, new ST, everything. Like just new stuff. Um, and... You know, go, before going into the season, I was pretty confident. Like, man, like this setup is, this is it. Like, this is the one that's going to get us closer to a championship win. Um, but look where ended up. Like every event, we've had troubles, like drivetrain problems. It's just something that I didn't expect expect at all going into the season, uh, which is a huge heartbreak for not just myself but my team. And it, it's pretty uh, clear in there. 
in their uh, expressions that they're quite disappointed in how our season has been going. And it takes away the motivation out of them too. Because obviously they go out there, uh, they want to win, you know, uh, we want to do good, get on the podium because we we champion last year. We were on the podium last year, won. So they know that feeling. They know that excitement. And we expect to do a lot more of that this year. And, you know, just the way it turned out was a huge uh, disappointment for for them and for myself. And so that mindset is really hard to shake off when things just repeatedly go wrong. Every round, there's something happening. And like I said, it's come to the point where we're like joking about it. So, um, but now uh, we got the car really dialed, I hope, going into Irwindale. And of course, we know how to win Irwindale. We've done it before, um, clean and clear. Like this was not a lucky round for us when we won. Uh, we battled hard, we fought hard, and we won. So we know how to win Irwindale. I think just having that mindset going in that we we know what it takes to win with the right machinery is going to get us a better result. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, that's, At least that's my that's, that's a good mindset, though. <clears throat> yeah, so that's my mindset going into um, Irwindale. Um, now speaking on the business side, of course, as a team owner and operator, I have to start planning for next season or the next two seasons or even the next five seasons. So um, my short-term plan obviously is to start preparing for 24. And that comes with, you know, addressing what went wrong this year that we must event next year. And of course, that's coming down to, you know, the drivetrain issues we've had all season. Um, earlier, I said addressed it, but we want to be 100% sure. So we're going to uh, redo, I'm not redo, like to, you know, recreate a whole new package, but really just address the, the core issues that went wrong, like centering the balance and making sure, making sure that, that doesn't, it doesn't go off center anymore. Stronger dowels if that's what it takes. Um, and also uh, just making sure we have spares of spares because this year, one of our struggles was not having a spares. Mm. Um, when our winters blew in Orlando, we actually had to buy a used one uh, I mean, and thankfully, LZ had one close by Drift HQ, and the Drift HQ guys were able to drive, drive and get it for me. But like circumstances like that should not happen. You know, we should have spares in our trailer all the time. Uh, I think the key word for next year is just going to be, you know, how well pre- prepared we are. So preparedness, um, just being able to have everything right then and there in case something. You know, when shit hits the fan, we're prepared to address the problem and keep fighting. Uh, budgeting is also. It, <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I no, no, I wanted to get into to, to budgeting because yeah. like that's not cheap. Like that's not you're you're basically it's having another most yeah, of a car. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely not. And uh, you know, I think everyone will agree nowadays that it's getting harder <laughs> and harder to find not just sponsor but. Um, Funding sponsors. It's uh, gone are the days where tire manufacturers are paying us, you know, fifty thousand, seventy-five thousand season to rep their brand, and now we're barely uh, able to ask for free tires, um, let alone tire service. So yeah. Oh, by the way, props to Stacks guys because those guys are crazy, changing thousands of tires a weekend. It's nuts. Yeah. Because tire manufacturers don't do it anymore. You know, before, you know, when we had the Falcons and the, the Hankooks, uh, the Yokohamas, uh, they had their own tire machines and a tire staff that did all the tire service for them. So, uh, and those manufacturers are paying, you know, 50 grand, 
seven grand a season per driver. And it's outside of the other sponsors that they were able to run a season comfortably with mm-hmm. you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars, almost half a million per season. Uh, and now we're getting. I, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but you know, I'm sure it's just a fraction of that. I mean. I was going to say, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah, have to like provide it's, uh, specifics. It's, but. it's definitely getting harder yeah. to find funding. Is that? Uh, but that's not just for me. It's for everyone um, across the board. You just kind of have to be a little strategic in where you put your market value and find the proper sponsors that are willing to fork out some of the funding to help you, you know, compete. Yeah. A, a, an interesting like bit of. I mean, I don't want to like give away like a whole bunch of industry secrets and stuff, but like I, the conversations I've had with people is like, you have to, you have to think outside the box, not just like with what you're proposing, but potentially, um, how you're, how you're receiving funds and how you're managing those funds. Um, you know, like things like, instead of just asking for a check, asking for them to like cover a part of the bills, right? Like, cover hotels or cover fuel or food, like that's easier for a brand to write off than it is to just cut you a $100,000 check or something like that. Yeah, and that's why I said you got to kind of be like strategic and creative in finding these sponsors because you can't just go up there and be like, yo, give me money. Instead, you kind of negotiate the deals and like, hey, like I'll do this for you if you can like cover some of the costs for logistics or, or even like, hey, um, for example, some of the guys are like sharing transport, right? Yeah. So they'll be like, hey, you know, like, won't you come under my trailer? Or like, you just pay for trans- pay me for transport. I'll transfer your car, you know, to the prospect rounds or whatever, vice versa. And so teams are really starting to kind of like get together and like work together and making things a little bit more cost efficient. Mm-hmm. Um. It's, it's because needed. yeah, it's, it's just yeah, for sure. But this is this has happened before too. Like this is the interesting thing. Like with any motorsport, there's like these ebbs and flows of of cash, right? Where like in the beginning, you know, there there might have been like some you know very very beginnings. There probably wasn't a ton of money. Then the sport blows up quick. A bunch of money comes in. It definitely wanes. Like in the 2008 era, when we had large financial issues. Mm-hmm. Um, things then start to come back around. We saw kind of another dip in like, I would say 2016, 2017. I know a lot of guys got hit and then it got a little bit better and we're kind of back in that that valley, unfortunately. But like, yeah, it, it's shit. But like, it also starts to separate the guys that have a well put together program and then starts to wean out the guys that don't. And I know how terrible that sounds, but it's like, it's You're right. kind of calling the herd. Like I'm it's, I know that sounds bad and like, I don't want anybody to leave, but due to financial issues, but there are guys that are way overextended that mm-hmm. just, you can't do that forever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but you know, like they say, it's just survival of the fittest, right? You just kind of have to be in the right place at the right time. I fortunately have been in the right place all the time. <laughs> which is why, which is why I'm still able to do it because I don't come from a rich family. Um, I just come yeah. from a family that gave me a lot of opportunities. So, um, me personally, I have to go out there and find the money. I don't have mm-hmm. a huge uh, bank account that I can just be like, okay, well, here's half a million dollars that's gonna fund my 24 program. 
Now I actually have to go out there, um, negotiate some deals, um, do a lot of work. And this is the work that I don't post on social media is like, yeah, you know, like what really goes down behind the scenes is not all like glamorous and like, you know, we don't like travel on fancy jets all the time and like <laughs> travel in like limousines or drive nice cars. Like we go out there and work. And one, one of the examples, um, actually, I was just having a conversation with Larry Chen about, mm. you know, how some people think he's got it good. But he actually hustles hard. Oh my God, he you know, works like, so hard. He works so hard to like get all these deals and opportunities to shoot for, you know, different, um, you know, uh, productions and manufacturers. And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, I was like, man, yeah, I well, guess you go through the same he's thing got too. staff to pay for, like infrastructure. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of the joke. Like if somebody, I, I own my own business and I've got mm -hmm. a, a few staff and it's like, there's, I always joke with my wife or like, I'll be like, Hey, check out the bank account. And like, it looks great until you realize that's all wages and it's all gone. <laughs> like, yeah, like it feels great. Sure. You look at it. Like if we left right now, like if we just disappeared, we'd have enough money to live on for like three months. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> but like, I have to pay yeah. all these people. Like that's, it's like mm -hmm. the best and worst feeling. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're in a similar boat. Like to those, I guess, there, there's such a misconception in racing that it's like, oh, it's October. I need to start hunting for sponsors. And like, I tell drivers, I'm like, if you start in October, You're you've missed late. the boat. You've oh, missed yeah, the boat sure. completely. It's yeah. it's done. Like, yeah. Are you are you all year? Like, is it? It's just year, continuous. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's never a time where I'm not looking mm -hmm. for opportunities and sponsors. Um, but my my thing is, I want to finalize. You know, I, I want to say 100%, but that's really unlikely. But I want to yeah. finalize most of my main sponsors by SEMA time. Yeah. You know, that's the absolute latest I want to scare like the big time sponsors. Um, tire sponsors for one of them. Obviously, Toyota. Um, you know, like the big title sponsors like Motis that I have on my car. Like, I want to make sure all that is good uh, by SEMA time. And then the smaller sponsors I'll deal with, finalize everything in December, before the holidays. Yeah. And then come January, we're set. Right. Yeah. If you're starting See, to negotiate deals in October, yeah, you're you're way too late. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> Seema's yeah, where you shake hands. Sailed. That's yeah. that's the thing. Like that's I mean, Seema's for shaking hands, not mm -hmm. not for pitching. Like it can happen. Don't get me wrong. Like it, yeah, hundred percent, those deals happen. But like, don't don't count on it. Yeah, because by the time Seema comes, their budget is already set for the following year. A long time ago, we're in, in Q4, fact. baby. Yeah, yeah. And so they've already they've already like made their decision on how they're going to be spending their marketing dollars, um, and like you said, SEMA, you just go there to meet the people that you've been dealing with, shake their hand, be like, "Thank you again for this year. Uh, let's mm -hmm. do it again next year," you know. Or uh, if you have never met them, be like, "Yo, like, hey, you know, I'm so and so. This is what I do." You know, get your face out there, but it's never the place to look for big time funding sponsors because you're definitely not going to find out there. Are you, do you got your dinners already planned? Like, is it, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of like booking all my dinners for SEMA right now. <laughs> no. So, um, actually the last two years I've opted out of SEMA. Um, my okay. car had to be there, so I would transport my car there. Um, yeah. but again, I try to finish my deals before SEMA. So I don't have to go to SEMA <laughs> unless I like absolutely have to. And the only time I have to is, is if, uh, Toyota is doing a press release or press conference. Okay. And I'm on the show floor uh, as a speaker. Then I have to go in early, do rehearsals, do the actual talking uh, Tuesday morning, 
and I can dip out Wednesday or Thursday. But otherwise, yeah, I'm I I don't want to go to SEMA. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it's such like a a dream. Like I remember before I got into the industry pretty heavily, it was like a dream to go, and like now it's a I'm a little bit jaded where I'm like. I'm going to have to walk miles and miles and miles and be like packed in with people and pay ridiculous amounts of money for an Uber to go four blocks. Like, I know how like ridiculous that sounds, but it's like, it's funny how it shifts. And especially if you're paying out of pocket, the lodging is expensive. You can barely eat anywhere because everything is booked or reserved. And you got to, like you said, reserve food months in advance. Yeah. Um, It's, yeah, it's just crazy. So if I, <laughs> I know have how, like to go, jaded it sounds, but yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because back then I I loved SEMA. I was like, oh, I want to go to SEMA again. I, I actually went 20 years straight uh, before I Damn. said, you know what, I'm I'm not going anymore. Yeah. 20 years in a row. That's crazy. Um, and uh now I'm only gonna as bad as it sounds, I'm only gonna go on the expense of other people's times. Yeah. Um otherwise, if I don't have to go, I'm not gonna go. Okay. Are you, do you do uh, PRI at all? I have actually never been to PRI. Uh, that's really? One, yeah, one show I want to go to. I, I'm, I might do it actually. But yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to go. Oh, it's nothing nothing more beautiful than Indianapolis right before the winter. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, bet. Uh, man. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that bad. It's actually a really cool show just because it's like, yeah. it's so specific, right? Like right. it's just, it's racing and nothing mm-hmm. but racing. So it's kind of like you can kind of fluff off all the weird off-brand and, you know, weird stuff where you're like, this, I don't know how this fits. But, sure. yeah. Yeah. Nah, I, I mean, hopefully you come out. Let me, I mean, shoot me a line if you do. I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll figure out some lunch sure. or something like that. But, yeah, yeah that's cool. So are you, I, I guess, like, you're obviously confirmed for next year. Or things are, are looking good. There's no no issues or anything like that for, for 2024? Yeah, no issues, actually. I just had a a pretty good call with uh, Toyota today. So uh, nice. that's pretty much locked in. I'm happy about that. Um, now it's just, uh, yeah, a couple other sponsors that I'm trying to finalize that are the big dollar ones. Uh, hopefully that'll happen within the next uh, two, three weeks, even before Irwindale, maybe. Uh, yeah. So that's good. That's an early start. Um, that way, you know, obviously before SEMA, those big ones will be dialed. And then I can start focusing on the I don't want to say small ones because every sponsor is obviously a crucial yeah. part of my program. But um, but the ones that have been with my program, I'll uh, shoot them a note saying uh, we have a new proposal deck. And then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, nice. Most of my sponsors have been my partner partners for years now. Um, north mm-hmm. of 10, 15 years. So it's a very, uh, I'm in a very good spot. Uh, obviously, I'm very fortunate to call them my sponsors. But a lot of them have become personal friends of mine. And yeah, uh, yeah it's just... That's that's yeah. like that right there. That is the the crucial bit of information that I wish drivers knew where it's like mm-hmm. they're friends. Like it's very mm-hmm. easy to say no to a stranger. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to say no to a friend. And like, not that you want to like get sponsors into a point where they feel guilty or anything like, but like if they're your friend, if you become, if you build a relationship, mm-hmm. these 10 year, 15 year deals. Like that's, it's just like, yep, this is Ken. This is my buddy. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're doing business with Ken again. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to be able, being able to call them my friends, but you know, I try to do the most I can to obviously help their brand out, help their brand grow. 
Um, if they need R&D cars, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to shoot over my Toyota products to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, like HPS, a silicone hose manufacturer, needed a GR Corolla. Uh, so obviously I have one now. I, I just said, just use my car and they took it in for development. And, you know, same goes with APR performance, whatnot. So it's, uh, you know, it's not just all about me taking their products and like yeah. just simply posting an IG story or something. But uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot more involved in making sure these uh, partnerships are maintained. Mm. And uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, best FD round for Pokemon Go. What is like, what is the best stop? <laughs> yeah. Seattle's uh, been a pretty solid one so far. Okay. Uh, when we were at Wall Township, we would always go to New York City. Right. New York City has always been pretty good. Uh, it's a Big pretty gyms. lit up city for Pokemon Go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you have you picked up like any any shundos or or anything crazy lately? No shundos. I actually I have I do have a shundo. Let me let me see. Oh damn! Uh, I just picked up a shiny um, shadow for, Pokemon. For the non-initiated, uh, that is a shiny one hundred percent stat. So yes. it's a hundo yep. is a is a hundred percent stat, and then shiny, which is even more rare. Uh, for the record. This is not my realm. I actually had to ask my little brother. Uh, who oh, then, really? You sound oh, yeah, like you know what you're talking about. Oh, no. I, I just speak with confidence and people believe me. Um, <laughs> you got me there. He's, he's hardcore. Like, he's hardcore. And I'm like, hey, I got a guy on who's like, like, I mean, I, from my understanding, you're like internationally ranked. Like, you're up there. You've, you've been anymore. a day oneer. No? I am, I am a day oneer. Yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. So here, it's, it's funny. I'm just going to show you real quick because no, I like brag, bragging about myself. No, I love it. But can you see this? Like it says, uh, hold on. Uh, there we go. Uh, there I think you goes. got it now. So right. Oh, crap. Hold on. The switch. Right there. Okay. So <laughs> right there says the day I started is, oh, oh what is it? 07, 06, 2016. Is that what Damn. it says? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's so wild. July 6th, 2016 is when I started. Uh, which is day one of Pokemon Go. And this is my Shundo. It's a shiny, I don't even know what he's called in English, but Manura is a okay. 100% shiny. <laughs> Damn. That's my pride and joy. <laughs> That's my pride and joy. I, yeah. I, I, I heard a while ago, I don't even want to take claim for it. It's such a good statement that like the last time we, the closest we've ever seen to world peace is when Pokemon Go came out. Because right. like everyone was walking together, everyone was walking. They were communicating. There was no yeah. like actual arguments. People were outside. They were discussing. It didn't matter where you were from or what you were doing. You were just all entranced in it. I mean, I played it for a number of years, but and and like it's funny because same thing. My little brother bugs me, and he's like, "You have to get into it. You travel so much." He's like, "You could yeah. be crushing this," and I'm like, "I know, I know," but. It's I I can see it being a good a good way to to blow off some steam and some time and discover the places you go right yeah I, I mean because I spent a lot of time in Tokyo and Tokyo is probably still the hottest spot for Pokemon Go and um, I take trains everywhere and you know it's just an opportunity for me to slow down and see you know what I could po- possibly be missing mm-hmm. and uh, it's just a great time to be you know Pokemon Go when you're just walking around town and there's a lot of good Pokemon out there so. That's Occasionally, sick. when I'm out there, I'll I'll hop on and then remind myself why I like this so much. Yeah, it's fun to like get back into that too. I mean, maybe 
maybe I'll maybe I'll get back into it. I'm sure I can get the login still. So <laughs> it's so crazy oh. now though. They, they raised the level cap, and I I just totally lost motivation to mm. go higher. Because you're levels, forty, right? I'm forty, and they raised it to fifty. <coughs> oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's a jump. Hmm. So it is what it is. So, so I want to. Um, I kind of want to close out with uh, a story I alluded to during our interview that we did on site. Um, so the first time you and I met was actually in St. Louis. And I don't, I doubt you even remember this. Hmm. Um, I was shooting Pro 2 at the time, and this is during the old FD layout. And if you remember correctly, the during Pro layout. 2. Yes. Uh-huh. If you remember correctly, during, before qualifying, it was raining. That yeah. whole weekend, it felt like it was raining. It was a yeah. nightmare. That's crazy. That was, yeah, I, that was a crazy year. So I was shooting Riley Sexsmith. I was just before the start line, but I was just outside the fence. So I'm out there filming and I've got my camera on me and I'm, I'm backed up next to the fence and all of a sudden it just stops raining. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I turn around and you're standing there with an umbrella over top of me holding the umbrella. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. And you're like, no, no, finish, finish doing what you're doing. And you let me shoot my entire set of <laughs> runs while holding an umbrella over top of me and then just handed me the umbrella and said, here you go. Let me know when you're finished with it. So it was like, wow. you and I had never spoken before. I I knew who you were, obviously. Mm. But like that was my introduction to Ken Gushi. And the, the, the greatest thing about this is that like you've never, you've never changed how I see you since that day. You've always been incredibly nice, very welcoming, and very thoughtful. And I, and I want you to like know that, that like out of all of the drivers on the, on the grid, you are probably, I, I would say like top three nicest guys on that <laughs> grid, which is great. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that story. Actually. Um, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's just, it was one, it was, a, it was a story I told people for years, like uh-huh. before I ever got to, to kind of what I'm doing now, where I was like, Ken Gucci once held an umbrella for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was right by the trailer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, was backed up fence. to the fence. Yeah. 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 It was just such a weird, I I, I just wasn't expecting it. And I'm like, I'm just mm. some media guy that's, you know, filming pro two drivers and, and realistically like pro guys will watch some pro pro two stuff or pro spec yeah. stuff now, but it was just, I don't know. I don't know if you saw me there or you were just watching it and you're like, Oh, okay. This guy's doing something. It was just, I don't know. It's such a, a, a nice, wholesome moment. Oh, I'm I'm happy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you and for I, uh, reminding me of that. Yeah, no worries. I mean, it's it was cool. It was very it's it it's kind of stuck with me and reminded me too that like now I guess it, like that I'm in a very different position than where I started mm-hmm. that like I don't want to I don't ever want to forget that like I worked my way up to this point that like mm-hmm. when I see other media people or I see people who are like working their way up to something bigger like to provide that helping hand, like never be, yeah. I guess, like too humble. Yeah, right. No, that's awesome. That's yeah. a good story. Yeah. That's the thing is like, you know, I always, um, I always like to think that we're all equal and uh, we, we all have hardships and we're all just trying our best. So why not just, if you have the opportunity to lend a helping hand, why not? You know, yeah. it doesn't hurt to no. help. No, exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't. It really, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't hurt anybody to to give someone a, a helping hand every once in a while. So sick. Well, I I'm glad we got to do this. I really appreciate it. You're you're on my like my top list of people to get in. Just yeah, because thank you. It took a while, to, but thanks. For it's having all good. Me. No, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm 
Yeah, I'm happy. It, it, I mean, there was a lot of research involved and it, it was good. It was fun. <laughs> it was very, I, yeah. I very much enjoy getting to learn about you guys before I really get to interview you, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of my, what I take away from the show is, uh, that's the part that that's for me, I guess, is the research, which is kind of weird, but. Well, not only are you good at researching, but lately you've been a uh, very, very good uh, behind the mic at FD. Thank you. That's so, uh, yeah, wild. That That's did awesome. still it still freaks me out. It still has it hasn't hit me yet at all. Like I, I don't know. It's, it's oh, you're weird. natural at it for sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my my parents awesome. told me when I was a kid that I better find a job where I talk for a living because I sure do do a lot of it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're good at it's, it. Thank you. I I, yeah. I very much appreciate that. Um, cool. Anything else? Anything else you want to cover? Or? Um, no, not on my end. I mean, if you have any other questions, I like again, I'm an open book. So, uh, I've got. I'm trying to think here. I've got like fun facts that I we didn't get to. Um, you dislocated your shoulder on a snowboard right before the Tokyo Auto Salon. So don't do that again. <laughs> I um, did, yeah, I've stopped snowboarding since. Okay. Um, was your dad upset when you bleached your hair in 2002? No, again, um, (laughs) he was definitely one of those guys that let me do whatever the hell I wanted. In fact, I didn't just bleach my hair. Um, at one point I even, uh, permed my hair. So I had a big Afro. I don't know if you've seen pictures of me in 2005, my first year with Ford. I had Uh. a big Afro. Uh, I, that's one research you forgot to get to. I did not hit that one. I'm going to have to get into there. Uh, man, fire the interns. Yeah. yeah if, you, <laughs> if you search 05 Kangushi Ford Mustang, you'll see me in an Afro. Damn, that's sick. Yeah. You've, you've, you're definitely a man of, of many hairstyles. That's for sure. <laughs> I was, yeah, for sure. Some good, um, some bad. Yeah. No, that's, hey, I, as, as someone who indulges in wild hairstyles myself, I appreciate it. So you're good. <laughs> Uh, you raced with Kevin Jonas. That's kind of cool. I did. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Kevin is an awesome guy. Yeah. Really? I'm not the best driver on grid, but uh, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he need was, to be. yeah, yeah. He, he's super cool. Super cool guy. Very nice. Very humble. Um, I, when I did the Toyota Pro Celebrity Race, which was the race that he was a part of, uh, we just had a good time. It was just a good bunch of people. Um, and yeah, we, we kicked it off good. Uh, haven't seen him since, but one of uh yeah one of should my, hit him up. I should hit him up. Yeah, just we'll, we'll, get, we'll get him on the podcast. Sure, let's get him into yeah. FD, and then it gives me a reason. Um, yeah. you played a valet driver in a Just Kidding's film. I did. Yeah, I actually did a few films with uh, Just Kidding films. Um, Bart and Joe, those guys are actually locals. Um, they went to Market High School, which is down the street from where I live. Um, so they're all like just local guys. Um, probably one of the first guys that I know that made it huge on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, just because we share the same, you know, the Asian American background and they're local guys, we decided to kind of make some videos together. So as a part of a skit, and this was also with Toyota, um, they hired me as the valet driver for one of their skits. And yeah, it's pretty funny. In fact, there's also a video of them uh, drifting in my old uh, SR-powered Corolla. So if you want to look that up, it's a pretty neat ah, video too. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Um, this one I couldn't confirm. So I've got a bunch of notes. It's tough because like there's certain information I can find, but I can't. I was trying to like verify it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was that you actually failed your driving test right before getting your pro license. 
<clears throat> yeah, um, this story <laughs> might <laughs> this story might get pretty long. In fact, I did. That's fine. We got time, it. man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I I didn't fail it. Uh, I couldn't even take the test because what had happened was when I was. 14 years old. So our 14 was already, you know, well into a year of driving at the desert at El Mirage. Uh, and then uh, my dad had a customer who was barely getting into drifting. He had a 240. He was like, hey, like he went up to my dad. He's like, hey, I want your son to teach me how to do donuts. Uh, I know this really great spot. It's private. You know, it's away from the street. No one will bother us. Can I take your son, you know, after work and like have him teach me how to do donuts? And he was like, are you sure he's not going to get in trouble? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. You know, like it's it's all like gated or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll teach you how to do donuts. So we end up going to this place in the city of industry and it was like a warehouse parking lot. Uh, it was gated, but it was uh, also private property, which we weren't supposed to be on in the first place. So we get there and this is around like 10 o'clock at night. And he's like, okay, well, let me show you what I can do first. So he tries to attempt to do donuts and it's terrible. It's absolute shit. I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me teach you a few things. So I hop into the driver's seat and mind you, I'm still 14 years old. No license. Obviously, it was past curfew. As soon as I start to swing around, do one donut, I see lights. Woo! Cop oh. rolls in. I'm like, oh my God. He's like, oh, uh, it's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. I'm like, what do you mean it's okay? You're like, I don't have a license. <laughs> like, I'm not supposed yeah. to be here. So... I end up having to go to court for this because I got hit with <laughs> unlicensed driver, uh, no insurance, reckless driving, reckless endangerment, trespassing, uh, curfew. <clears throat> yeah, so all these hit me. I uh, ended up going to court with my dad. It was like 2000 something dollar fine. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we got fined and they're like, oh, it might affect like your driving abilities later on, but well, whatever. So then in 2015, oh no, not 2015, when I was 15, uh, after the driver's search, I got sponsored by a company called Rotora. They make brakes, big brake kits. Okay. This was with our first uh, uh, pro, not it wasn't pro bill at the time, but our competition car was the S13 that I originally built with my dad. So we, just, we turned that into a competition car, got sponsored by Rotora, and they pretty much funded the build. So we had like a, 350 horsepower S13, which is a lot of power at the time. Yeah. Uh, we got the car done before D1 uh, Grand Prix US versus Japan. Uh, and then at Rotora's shop, they're like, okay, well, we need to test the brakes. So they're like, oh, can you just go around the block and like drive the race car on the street and test the brakes? I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. <clears throat> so I get on the street, I go around, like kind of blasting it down the street. And this is all like, warehouse street. So there's really no one on the streets. I blasted on the street. I flip it around as I f I'm coming back to Rotora. I see lights again. I'm like, no fucking way this is <laughs> happening again. So they're like, you know, stop your car. I'm like, just coasting to Rotora. I pull into the parking lot and he's like, rushes behind me, gets out of his car with the gun in his hand, like starts walking towards me. And my dad's there too. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the cop is like, oh, back up, back up. So he's telling my dad to just like back up. And my dad's yelling, well, that's my son. And I'm just like within the race car with my hands out of the window. I'm like, oh, uh, oh my sorry. God. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, I get our car impounded. And remember, we have a competition coming up that weekend. So the sheriff oh. impounds my car. I get hit 
again with no license because I was still 15. No license, uh, unregistered vehicle, uh, <laughs> reckless driving, reckless endangerment. <laughs> uh, and so we go to court again. And this time they're like, well, you know, you lost your driving privilege. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, you, you, you can't drive. Like, we're not, we can't let you drive. Like, <laughs> no way. Like, what do you mean I can't drive? I'm like about to turn 16 and I can't drive. So anyway, um, yeah, that's how I lost my driver's license. <laughs> the story is I before never had you, one to begin with. You, you lost it before you even got it. Exactly. So it's oh crazy God. because, you know, like I graduated high school with no license. Uh, I was going to college with no license. So it was quite embarrassing because I had to have my mom or my dad drop me off to a local community college. Um, oh. I had to go on dates being dropped off by my parents. Like I would have to bug my dad. Hey dad, like, can, can we go, can we go pick up my girlfriend? <laughs> Meanwhile, the a, whole time you are a, a drifting prodigy. Like yes, you're a professional race car professional driver. Worth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn. I'm glad so I brought I had, that up. <laughs> yeah. I ended up getting my license at 19. Damn. Yeah. That's wild. It sucked. Uh, um, Man, I don't even know if I want to like try and top that with anything else. Uh, yeah. What do we got? Okay, I got three more. Three more. These were like unconfirmed things. I tried to slip in the show, but I couldn't like confirm. Sure. Um, you met Leon Styles uh, back when you first started Rally. Yeah, um, I did. In fact, uh, he sort of helped my dad kind of like settle into the U.S. Rally scene, mm -hmm. and uh, Leon had a. It was a paintball, paintball stadium uh, in Southern California where at okay. night or the weekends, he would turn it into a rallycross stage. <laughs> so Leon uh, ran that rallycross shindig uh, in SoCal and he did a lot of a uh, rally or stage rally um, and really helped my dad get into rally. So That's yeah, cool. um, definitely uh, he's a... Uh, you know, helped us out a lot. Just unfortunate that he had to pass so early. Um, but yeah. yeah, he's a legend. <clears throat> yeah, he's a legend for sure. He's um, yeah. definitely helped my dad settle into the U.S. motorsports scene. I mean, you did get kind of, re you know, reunited at Le Leadfoot. So at least, you know, you got that in before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, man, he's a... Uh, that guy's just always had a smile on his face, you know, like no matter yeah. how shitty his rally event was, whether <laughs> he crashed out or his car broke or uh, he was on a podium, he always just had that same genuine, uh, passionate smile. And that smile was also there when I saw him again at Leadfoot. So, uh, you know, just a really great friend of mine and uh, really, you know, yeah. something <clears throat> that uh, someone that was very uh, inspiring. Um. Is it true that you missed prom because you were racing? Uh, no. Okay. Oh, actually, I don't remember, but I did go to my junior year prom with a bunch of my friends. Um, and uh, my date for prom was actually one of my sister's best friends, but I, I really had no interest in her. So I just kind of <laughs> wanted to go with my other guy friends. Uh, we ended up going and just hanging out and uh, uh, pretty much ditched my day for the whole night, which kind of sucks looking back damn. now. But I think my current girlfriend would be stoked to hear that story. There you go. I think this, <laughs> that, that question is for her. Exactly. Um, and then the last one is, 
that you're a spicy food enthusiast and you have toyed with the idea of making a Japanese or opening a Japanese fusion restaurant. <laughs> uh, okay, the first part of that is true. I, I love yes. spicy food. Um, uh, yeah, I am a hardcore spicy food fanatic. I've tried the one chip challenge. I've tried any spicy food challenge that you could think of. The noodle challenge, whatever. That was whatever. floating around in Utah. Someone was passing those. I think Dennis was passing them out because he like handed one to me. I'm like, dude, I got places to be later. Like, thank you. Uh, the one chip challenge? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's not that bad actually. Um, it hurt, but it's it's not as bad as some of the other spicy ramens that I've had from Japan. Uh, in fact, I'll uh, my Japanese team... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'll bring some for you. Please don't. <laughs> After I'm done. Maybe, maybe like, if you want to do that, like, okay, let's do the banquet. Maybe in the banquet, if I have yeah. a couple of couple of uh, old fashions in me, you might you might get me too, but that's about it. All right. I'll, I'll hold you to that. All right. Um, the Damn. second part of that story is definitely not true. Um, okay. I am definitely the worst guy to be behind uh, the kitchen, in the kitchen. <laughs> And I would never even consider myself opening up anything food-related. I love eating. I, I don't enjoy operating a restaurant. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I'll cook for myself uh, and my girl. But outside of that, yeah, there's no way I would be able to maintain a restaurant. And that's, and that's why some of these notes stay as notes. I've, I've, I've been toying with the idea <laughs> of like… Where did you get that from anyways? Uh, I think it was a reference… Um, from a podcast you did a few years ago on a mm. uh, Asian entrepreneur network. Um, mm. This is a few years ago. You, you, I think mm -hmm. it was like an off the hand, off the cuff, like comment that mm -hmm. I had to like kind of verify. So there's like, it's funny. I I should share them with like the drivers, but like we, I have like a two page document of research, and then from there That's I'll like go through and hell. yeah, and then I'll go through and like select different like things I want to bring up or notes. Like I don't want to like, you know, reveal how the sausage is made or anything, but like um, <laughs> we have some, we have some yeah. cool references that we go through, but like I, I spend, I usually like once, once you guys are booked in, I'll spend a whole week, like any podcast you're on, I'm listening to that podcast. And like, mm. which, which you've done, you've done a few. I think I'd listened to four. Um, yeah. I've done a few. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, that's, I mean, that's, you know, without giving away all my secrets, that's like, that's like step one. I'll like build mm -hmm. a playlist of podcasts you guys have been on and just just listen. And if mm -hmm. something pops up, I make a little note and get back mm -hmm. to it. So yeah, it's fun. I like it. It's it's interesting. So I don't know. I'm, I know I'm I know I'm weird. I know it's it's a weird no, thing, but like it's uh, it's, it's, it's fun. Good. It's enjoyable when you have all these facts and it just catches off, off guard. Yeah, that's that's my goal. I mean, I, I I try to slide somewhere between like hot ones and Nardward, if you know who yeah. who, who those people are. So. I do not know. <laughs> no, hot, you have to know hot ones. No, what is that? What? So hot ones is a is a is an interview show with celebrities where they eat progressively spicier chicken wings. I don't know, dude. This is your show. This is your jam. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. To, to go look it up. They just had uh, right. Cardi B on, and I'm not even like a, a Cardi B fan or like an R&B or rap fan. Like, but like they've they're like six seasons in, but like they start with like you know, very basic barbecue sauce. Then they work mm -hmm. up to like, you know, maybe a Tabasco second. But by the end, they're in the like millions of Scoville units. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. Like this like destroys people. But like, that's the cool part is like the media training and the facade that these, these celebrities have to put on just disintegrates once they get into the hot, really hot waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get these like really honest interviews by the end where they're barely able to breathe, but they're actually <laughs> answering it honestly. 
So, and then That's Nardward is a Nardward is a an interviewer uh, from Canada who is known for like being very weird and eccentric, but uh-huh. he pulls facts like I've never seen, like shit uh-huh. from like kids, like people's childhoods. And um, I've reached out and he does his own research. Like I've reached mm-hmm. out to him and been like, please teach me, but I've never mm-hmm. heard back. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, that, those are well, my, you're doing a those good are my job two yourself, inspirations. Though. So thank you. Thank you. I, I figured the Japanese sister thing, speaking <laughs> yeah, to your sister in Japanese again. So yeah, yeah, that was good. Cool. Even the karate um, story caught me off guard. I can, dude, your dad's website still exists. I can send it to you really? if you like. Yeah, no, yeah. Right. No, I don't need it's, to see it's it. It's cool. It links back and that's, anyways, I don't want to like, anyways, that's, yeah. So anyways, um, cool. Well, I'm I'm really happy we got to do this. This is a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm stoked I got to tell you that story. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see you in Irwindale and kind of shoot the shit. I feel that's always fun afterwards seeing you guys after we do a show because yeah. like, you kind of little more friends now, so it's it's, yeah, it's a little yeah. little more interesting. But um, yeah, thanks again, Ken. I I really appreciate Absolutely, it. Um, anybody, any anything you want to thank? Any shout outs you want to do before we close out? Oh well, I mean, first and foremost, you for uh, giving us drivers this channel to speak, you know, and kind of showcase what really happens behind the scenes and talk about you know the hardships, the success stories. Um, it's just one solid channel for fans to really connect to us drivers. Thanks, and hey, as you know, you know, we're we're pretty much an open book at the track as well. Uh, we oh, always yeah. welcome <laughs> you guys, the fans. Uh, we like to share our story, but I think you have really provided something for those fans that aren't able to come to the venue. So um, yeah, thank you for this. Um, obviously, you know, the fans have all the, you know, they're they're really the the core of all this, right? They, they're really the ones that make it possible for all of us to have a career and to really allow us to do what we enjoy doing and to show them, you know, our passion too. So massive uh, love to the fans. And of course, uh, and last but not least, our fans, uh, sponsors, fellow drivers, team members, you know, everyone that makes the show go on, Ryan Sage and everyone at Formula Drift. Um, it's just crazy to see what this organization has become because I've been in it since day one, have never missed a round. I've seen the growth of Formula Drift and drifting in general. And to see what we have today is just beyond my wildest imaginations. If you were to ask 15-year-old Ken, where do you see yourself in 10 years, 15 years? Um, this is This goes beyond my uh, wish list of what I would have said back then. Nice. <clears throat> well, yeah. um, thank you again. Thank you for everybody Absolutely. who listens and watches. If you're listening, make sure to watch. You get to see Ken's uh, Pokemon Go stats. That is very important. And <laughs> uh, and his, yeah. obviously, his, his perfect shiny. Um, yeah, Shundu. really appreciate all the support. Shundu, yes, thank you. Uh, better than a Nundu, or I mean, <laughs> it's still better than a Hundu. Um, yeah. See, I got the, I got the, the nomenclature. You got the legal down, yeah, for sure. I got it. Um, thank you for everybody. Um, and I, I want to take a second. Thank everybody for the support with me jumping in the chair for announcing, um, the outreach has been insane. Um, yeah. So we'll see where that goes. I don't know yet, but we'll, we'll see where that, that all goes. So, um, thank you again, everybody for listening and or watching and catch you guys next week. 